0: In 1906, a Los Angeles Times reporter went to visit one of the most notorious residents of the city. That vile old rascal of the tenderloin, Bartolo Ballerino, rakish-looking and spry, is celebrating his 75th birthday anniversary in a dingy little room of the erstwhile crib district, the reporter wrote. Ballerino, once known as King of the Cribs, was down on his luck. His dens of prostitution, which had been known as cribs, had been shut down by moral campaigners. I'll live to get even with those skunks who have tried to ruin me, he said furiously to the reporter. They think I'm beaten cowed down because I'm keeping in my hole. But don't you forget it. I'll come out when the time comes and I'll run them fellers into a deeper hole than I have ever seen. Despite Ballerino's threats... Deep down, he seemed to know that the lawless Wild West Pueblo in which he had thrived was fast disappearing. In its place, a slick, outwardly moral metropolis was rising. There will be a revolution in this country if those long hairs keep trying to run everything. If there is, I, Bartolo, will march at the head with a saber in my hands, and I'll carve the life out of some of those white-livered cusses who are trying to ruin me. What have they done to this town? They have killed the North End. They have driven the women away. The girls were doing no harm. They were minding their own business and paying their debts. This town is going to the dogs, he spat. It's getting too darned good. I'm Hadley Mears, and this is Underbelly L.A. Dolo Ballerino's early life is shrouded in mystery. Born around 1830, he was of Italian descent, although he is often misidentified as Portuguese. He seems to have grown up, though, in Chile. He was multilingual and migrated to California during the gold rush. After a few years of unsuccessfully panning for gold, he moved to the turbulent Pueblo of Los Angeles around 1853. He married a Mexican woman named Maria. Maria and drove a mule team between the Pueblo and San Pedro, saving every penny he earned. Like many clever early pioneers, the Ballerino family invested heavily in L.A. real estate, buying up a diverse, rough neighborhood which soon became known as Hell's Half Acre. This neighborhood ran adjacent to the old plaza of L.A.'s fabled Pueblo days. Maria and Ballerino had ten children and lived on a sprawling ranch in Pico Heights, outside of L.A. proper but it was in the gritty heart of the old city that Ballerina made his true mark. By the 1880s, he was the reigning landlord of the red-light district of Los Angeles. This district was centered around the long-gone dirt road known as Negro, or inward, Alley. Both names were used, a sad sign of the insidious banal racism of the time. Today, it is roughly where the 101 freeway and North Los Angeles Street meet. Dozens of sex workers lived and worked at Ballerino's International Hotel. The hotel's accommodations were described as shacks divided into small compartments, called cribs, which are rented to fallen women of all nationalities at a rental of 150 to 250 per night, cash in advance. The International Hotel was just one of the many cribs in and around Negro Alley. Negro Alley, like most streets in Hell's Half Acre, was simply a dusty dirt path slicked with oil. These makeshift streets were lined with low-slung brick buildings filled with cribs, which visitors described as small, pin-like rooms, not much wider than their front doors. Inside the crib was just a bed, a washbasin, perhaps a dresser. Some cribs were more sophisticated than others. According to KCT's Lost L.A., Jean Rapay, the one-time proprietor of the Basket Saloon, rigged up an electric enunciator that would alert his bar when a woman wanted a drink delivered to her crib. Outside the cribs, sex workers stood on wooden platforms on the streets. According to historian Anne-Marie Kustra, the women spent hours, quote, displaying their charms to as great an expanse as the benign laws and humorously tolerant policemen of the day allowed, end quote. Inside, they met with an estimated 13 to 30 men a night. These men ranged from day laborers to more established gentlemen, looking for a bit of a thrill. The women they came to see hailed from all over the world and were segregated in their own cribs with their own set of pimps. The French section was known as Little Paris. There were Japanese, Chinese, Latina, Native American, Caucasian, and African American women, all at the mercy of men like Bartolo Ballerino. Ballerino got richer and richer and became notorious in Los Angeles as one nasty piece of work. He is his own worst enemy, the LA Times reported, in that he deprives himself of nearly all the comforts of life to hoard his gold. By the 1890s, his estate was valued at around 250000 to $300,000. He made much of this money off the back of sex workers, who paid absolutely outrageous rent for their cribs. And this was even though most of the women simply used their cribs as an office and actually lived in boarding houses in downtown L.A., where their rent was also exorbitantly jacked up because of their profession. They were also expected to patronize bars and restaurants owned by the likes of Ballerino and to make sure their customers did the same. All this to make a meager living as a bargain-dollar sex worker. Crib prostitution was considered one of the lowest levels in the profession, just above streetwalking, Anne-Marie Kustra explains in her highly informative dissertation, Angels for Sale, The History of Prostitution in Los Angeles. These prostitutes tended to draw the lowest-paying customers. They made the least amount of money, and they worked in unsanitary and unattractive quarters. According to Kustra, one visitor remembered, When the boys were flush with recent payrolls or winning streaks at poker or faro, they sought the sumptuous parlor houses of commercial, new-high, or marsh-show streets, but when their pockets were light, they had to be content with such feminine society as might be encountered in the cribs. Not surprisingly, drug addiction, sexual abuse, and violence were par for the course in Hell's Half Acre. Ballerino himself was beaten with a hammer by a hired hitman during one business dispute. He claimed that he was kind to the women that were his tenants, that he did little things to make their lives more bearable. I even built the girls a park, he explained. I planted flowers and helped to make them comfortable. But like many abusers, these random acts of public kindness covered a much darker reality. In 1898, one L.A. Times reporter told the story of a sex worker named Adele, who worked in a crib owned by Ballerino. After being beaten almost to death by a client, she was bedridden for fifteen days, according to the Times. During this time, she did not occupy her crib, and when Bartolo Ballerino demanded the full month's rent, the woman refused. She finally compromised on twenty-five dollars, deducting five dollars from the time she did not occupy the place. When he found that it was not forthcoming. Ballerino got his son Dick and another man to dig a hole in the sidewalk in front of the door. The slabs of paving stone were set up against the woman's door, blocking ingress. And when she remonstrated, she was assaulted. Ballerino's henchmen were arrested and he was fined $30, which enraged him further. Ballerino evicted Adele. She refused to leave before her pay days were up and so Ballerino called his friends in the LAPD to entrap her. The LA Times piece continues. Deputy Constable Joe McNimmy spent considerable time passing back and forth in front of the woman's window, thinking she would solicit him, but she didn't. Then, the deputy constable enlisted the aid of two other deputy constables. One of these succeeded in getting the unfortunate woman to solicit him through the window. She was promptly arrested by Constable Johnson and his deputy, Mugnimi. After the arrest of the woman, the deputy constables adjourned to Ballerino's restaurant, where they refreshed themselves and rested from their arduous labors. This kind of pimp violence against sex workers was frequent. Suicide was rampant, with reports of women taking overdoses of opium and other drugs. Many sex workers and their johns were ravaged with communicable and sexually transmitted diseases. During the 1990s, an archaeological dig at the old outhouse in Hell's Half Acre found a flask of Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup, a mixture of brandy and opium, along with an aquamarine bottle with a label that read Darby's Prophylactic Fluid. This was a popular disinfectant of the time. They also found the fine head of a porcelain doll. by government officials, usually abandoned by their families, there were few places sick and abused sex workers could escape to during the Victorian era. One place was the Door of Hope, a haven which had been operated by a Mrs. Watson since the 1880s. But overall, Ballerino and other red-light landlords were able to operate in the open for many years, with the law largely on their side, facing few repercussions for their predatory behavior. Sex work in Los Angeles was not illegal, but state law prohibited renting out rooms intended for immoral purposes. In eighteen ninety five, Ballerino was arrested for renting to sex workers, but he was merely slapped on the wrist, and his business continued to flourish. Ballerino's real legal battles during the eighteen nineties were with his wife, Maria, and his children, who claimed he had entrusted rent collecting duties to his mistress, who is a Belgian sex worker named Ama. Maria vehemently disagreed with this course of action, believing her husband was lavishing entirely too much money and attention on Alma. The Ballerino's smarmy legal battles consumed local papers. According to the LA Times, in papers filed during Maria's divorce suit, Ballerino asserts that he has always been a kind, loving, and indulgent husband, and unimpeachably true to his wife. He opines that she has been misled by malevolent advisers, being an innocent woman, and says that if he were only allowed to explain matters to her, it would be easy to effect a reconciliation. He furthermore earnestly desires the release of his property from the injunction, that certain improvements may go on, and that he may sell 200 tons of baled hay and collect his rents. Maria vehemently disagreed that she was a helpless, innocent woman. The Times continued. Mrs. Ballerino, in a counter-affidavit, declares that she is acting quite on her own free will and accord, and that, in order to better meet the wiles of her husband, she always talks to him in the presence of her children. She says that the old gentleman's schemes of improvement are wild and visionary. As to the rents, Mrs. Ballerino asserts the most profitable portion of the estate, the fronting on Alameda Streets and Inward Alley, Brings in an income of about $500 a month, and that her liege lord alienated a portion of these rents, putting them in the hands of Amma, a Belgian woman. Ballerino retorts that the women in the cribs objected to having their rents collected by a man and asked for a woman collector, so he took the task out of the hands of his collector, Charles Miller, and entrusted it to the Belgian, who was a sober and reliable person. In 1896, The Ballerinos came to a settlement, with Maria being deeded over half of her husband's property. Peace was restored until around the turn of the century, when the couple legally separated and they eventually did divorce. Ballerino, advancing in age and losing the hair of which he was inordinately proud, moved from the family ranch in Pico Heights to his Hell's Half Acre properties and oversaw his growing vice-empire a constant stream of mistresses keeping him company. He was a local celebrity. He was the unofficial crib king of a district that had become infamous throughout the Southwest. Not only did the crib district merit a mention in the infamous Souvenir Sporting Guide, which directed gentlemen to establishments of ill repute, respectable travelers of both sexes, riding through Los Angeles on the Southern Pacific Railroad, began to eagerly ask their porters to let them know when the train passed Hell's Half Acre so they could sneak a peek at the infamous neighborhood. This was embarrassing for the city, and they attempted to whitewash the problem. The L.A. Times asserted that Ballerino's arrest in 1895 had been because of his refusal to, quote, "...donate ground for an alley in the rear of the cribs," so that fronts can be closed up and entrance be gained only from the rear, thus abating the glaring nuisance that stares everyone in the face who traverses Alameda Street or enters Los Angeles over the Southern Pacific Railroad. As LA boosters increasingly turn their sights towards marketing LA as the white, Christian, straight-laced, sunshine capital of the world, Ballerino and his grimy, openly corrupt ilk became increasingly embarrassing to power brokers like Harrison Gray Otis and Harry Chandler, the father-in-law and son-in-law owners of the L.A. Times and leaders in the charge for a white middle-class, union-free Los Angeles, dominated by capitalistic modern businessmen like themselves. Their coverage of Ballerino, for years benign and almost amused, turned accusatory. In 1902 the Republican Los Angeles Times threw their support behind P.W. Powers, the party's mayoral candidate. In an attempt to tie the Democratic Party and its candidate Meredith Snyder to Vice, the Times waged a campaign against Chris Buckley, a Democratic booster from Northern California known as the Blind White Devil. Buckley had bought up a series of cribs in the Vice District, and the Times claimed that he and Ballerino were attempting to create a super district of prostitution and gambling in Hell's Half Acre. Between them, they control property that is said to produce an income of nearly $100,000 a year, a reporter wrote, an income that is a direct rake-off from the wages of sin. Another editorialized, These men, having a monopoly on the cribs, have the scarlet women who inhabit them at their mercy. They can charge what rent they like, and it is said that as much as $3 a night is charged for a small suite of two rooms, indifferently furnished at that. It can be seen what an enormous income may result from a few hundred of these shacks. The campaign worked. Women's charitable groups and local social justice organizations soon took up the cause that they had read about in the paper. In 1903... Mrs. Charlton Edholm stood on the floor of the East L.A. Christian Church and read to the audience from a clipping taken from the times of a past date. Buckley and Ballerino are renting those cribs every night near the heart of this city in direct violation of the laws of the state of California. When Mayor Snyder and Chief Police Elton took their oath of office, they swore to uphold without favor the laws of the Commonwealth, which they know do not countenance the existence of houses of prostitution. Charitable women of means and church groups began to organize virtual blockades of the crib district, driving away potential johns. We have already made it impossible for any man who has a reputation to lose to patronize the cribs one minister warned. If reasoning will not suffice for the men we find down in that degraded district, we shall photograph them with flashlights and put their pictures in the papers. Well-dressed women begin to arrive at the cribs and carriages, encouraging sex workers to safely escape Hell's Half Acre with them. According to the L.A. Times, many women of the various churches of the city have gone there during the past few days, and obtain their first real conception of the extent of the vile traffic. The women workers have gone to this district with a closed carriage, so that any girl with a mind to give up the evil life may at once be accompanied to the carriage and taken to one of the rescue homes until further provisions could be made for her. In retaliation, barbed wire fences were placed around the cribs by the owners to keep nosy do-gooders away. Mayor Snyder, tired of being associated with Ballerino and Buckley, gave the LAPD the go ahead to start targeting the crib system. Ballerino was arrested on Los Angeles Street. The reason? Renting a room for the purpose of prostitution. One thing is certain, an observer wrote Ballerino will fight the case to the bitter end. He has probably been in a greater number of lawsuits than any man in the city and with a stubbornest bred of desire to keep all his money, he has fought cases when it would have really been more profitable for him to have compromised. The arrests would spark years of more lawsuits and more arrests, which Ballerina would fight vocally at every turn. Always good copy for the newspapers, he cursed the damned old priest and preachers, the newspapers themselves, and the troublemaking women of the Temperance Union. Charges were brought repeatedly, but Ballerino's hold on the vice district was strong. Many fearful sex workers named in complaints did not show for trial, or conveniently forgot who Ballerino was while on the stand. Ballerino attempted to bribe a city clerk, and treated court proceedings dismissively, practically falling asleep at one, appearing in slovenly garb, holding up court when he stopped to get his shoes shined. He had signs pinned from the cribs, reading needlework, lacework, and baths. In December of 1903, the LAPD and City Hall had had enough. They raided the entire crib district, chasing away the hundreds who lived and worked there. The L.A. Times, victorious at last, morally intoned. Darkness, like a great mantle of charity, settled down and softly stretched its folds of somber shadow, over the erstwhile red-light district last night. The Tenderloin was a deserted village. The three hundred members of the demi-monde who have been inmates of the cribs and stalls, had flown to escape the dragnet of the police and the stern justice of the city's courts. For the first time in the history of modern Los Angeles, the ribald jest, the vulgar song, the cheap and flashy show of finery on the be- painted and bespangled damsels, were not on exhibition for the gaze and gratification of the youths and men who seek such things. Instead of the myriad of twinkling red lights and the glow of incandescent bulbs that were always a striking feature of these houses of the scarlet women, last night the American section was in complete darkness. Last night the atmosphere was as peaceful and as serene as was that which surrounded the cross-surmounted old adobe pile just over the other side of the plaza, where the church of Our Lady of Angels stands in solitude. Even the rambling old nest in bricks that stand just to the south of the notorious basket saloon, and where the king of Little Paris, wretched old Bartolo Ballerino, spends his leisure hours, and which he calls home, was silent and unlighted. One reporter went to visit Ballerino, who, quote, In his offended dignity is retired to the pile of bricks beside the basket saloon, where he sits and keeps watch over the deserted nest of the soiled doves. The soiled doves, of course, were the sex workers. In the silence, Ballerino plotted his next move. The raid's effectiveness was remarkably short-lived. Once the dust had settled, sex workers and their pimps began to flood back into Hell's Half Acre. Ballerino quickly reopened the International Hotel, with new crib rooms on the second floor. He claimed it was just a regular hotel, and that he would gladly rent a room to anybody. According to the L.A. Times, he ranted in broken English, which is strange since in every other interview he speaks perfect English. Rent room to you, rent room to him— Rent man, woman, boy, anybody have the money, he supposedly told the Times reporter. Money all the same to me. White money, black money, yellow money, any kind of money. You have money, you rent room. However, as always, his words were negated by the facts. One visitor to the reopened crib district noted that Ballerino's elevated location is brilliantly lighted up. And as these women flout themselves in and out of their doors or pose at their windows, they are really more conspicuous than they were when located on the ground. Some of Ballerino's women plan to move to the ground floor to start, quote, a cigar business or another false storefront. This idea was spearheaded by that blind white devil Buckley. To get around the cops, Buckley had hired workmen to quickly change his cribs so that they appeared to be legitimate businesses. Crowds of men and boys, with a number of the fallen women intermingled, watched the transformation interestedly and speculated concerning the final outcome of this new move, the Times reported. According to the writer, In each of the cribs was placed a small counter and a tier of shelves. These improvements were placed near the front of the cribs, and behind them board partitions have been erected, thus making two small rooms out of one. These counters and shelves will be used for the sale of cigars, tobacco, chewing, and the like. In a word, every crib woman will go into the cigar business today. There will be long rows of cigar stores in the narrow alleys and lanes. In February of 1904, Ballerino was again prosecuted for renting to sex workers, and this time he was sentenced to 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. What have they done? A diminished Ballerino complained in 1906. They have driven my tenants away. They have caused my family to desert me. They are not satisfied with that, but they want to take my living away and drive me out of town. They called me a pest. Ballerino attempted to rebuild, opening a new saloon which flourished as a gang hangout before its license was revoked. He was involved in a number of new lawsuits, suing the city for prosecuting him, battling with his lawyer over funds and fees, and fighting off mistresses who sued him for breach of promise. His power and pocketbook gradually slipped away as city officials tightened their grip and destroyed his lucrative income stream. He was still wealthy, yes, But he was no longer tolerated by the town where he had made his fortune. Pissed and alone, estranged from his family, his crib business destroyed, Ballerino retreated to a crib in the International Hotel. There he lived in solitude, one reporter noted. Caring nothing for the pleasures his money might afford him. He would not buy an automobile. He would not buy clothes. His appearance was always unkempt and he held on to his money as if it were the only joy he had on earth. He drove about the streets in a battered old runabout with a lean brown horse in the harness. His only passion was his hair. He had very little of it, just a thin thatch on the top of his brown and wrinkled head, but he cared for it and petted it, like the discoverer of some new and peculiar form of vegetation. On July 12, 1909, Old Ballerino died in the California hospital on Grand Avenue. Spiteful to the last, he left the bulk of his estate to his latest nurse-slash-mistress, giving his children only $5 each. Rumors of buried gold on some of his property led his family to dig for treasures, trying to recoup their lost inheritance. They found nothing. That same year, there was a lockout at all the brothels in downtown L.A., and the days of the Crib District were effectively over. Within ten years, all traces of Ballerino's L.A. had been obliterated in its place, Los Angeles Street, and eventually the 101 Freeway. And what of the women of his former kingdom? They scattered to the wind, some to new brothels, some to new pimps, and one can only hope, some to better lives in the land of shade and sunshine. I'm Hadley Mears, and you can follow me online at Hadley Mears, H A D L E Y M E A R E S. You can follow Underbelly L A on Twitter at Underbelly LA Pod. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Underbelly L A. Listen to all future episodes of this podcast by going to underbellyla.com. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you'd normally find a podcast. Every episode of this show is researched, written, and read by me, Hadley Mears. This episode is based on an article that I originally wrote for Curbed Los Angeles. Check it out. The show is produced by Drew Mackey and edited by Mika Grimm. The music for this podcast was composed by Donovan Dorrance. The logo was designed by Sarah Wickham. Underbelly Alley is a Tablecakes podcast. Tablecakes is a Los Angeles-based, woman-owned podcast company. And if you want to learn about other shows on this network, go to TableCakes.com. If you want to support Underbelly Alley, check out our digital tip jar at Patreon.com underbellyalley Underbelly Thank you for joining us on this episode of Underbelly Alley. Join us next week when we discover what was in the box. Winnie Ruth Judd's hat box, that is. a Table Cakes production.